you came back. After last week, I had my doubts, but it's good to see you again. If you weren't here last week, we began chapter 9, and we scratched the surface ever so slightly of the vast subject of God's sovereignty, especially as it relates to human suffering. And we did so because John's account of Jesus' healing of the man born blind and Jesus' explanation of why that man was born blind, well, that opened the door, and I was all too happy to walk through it. Because honestly, any study of God's attributes, of who He is, brings Him great glory and honor and does us much good as well. So if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast of last week's sermon. Uh, There's a link in the weekly email. It's right on the homepage of our website. Pretty easy to find. This morning, we're going to press further into John chapter 9. We're going to press further into both the man's condition and also of Jesus' cure for his condition. Uh, Jesus' restoring sight to the man born blind is the sixth of the seven signs that John records in his gospel. Um, Now, when we started our time in John, we jumped right to chapter 20, verse 31, uh, to see the purpose that John stated for writing this gospel. He said, I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ, and I want you to believe in him and therefore have life in his name. But he also mentions there having to narrow down the contents of Jesus' life and ministry to fit into his gospel. He had to be very selective. Couldn't possibly include all the things that Jesus had done. And so part of what John is selectively narrowing things down to included seven signs, which we might think on the surface, oh, well, these are just neat miracles and and healings that he did. But as signs, they have great significance. They're telling us something. They're showing us something, if we have eyes to see, something about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And by God's grace, we will see more of that this morning As you stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. 
So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. May God bless the teaching and the preaching of his inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word. Let's pray to the Lord for help. Father, thank you for your true word. Thank you for your word that includes these signs that the Lord Jesus did. Thank you for the significance behind those signs. Help us to see it and understand it and believe it clearly this morning. Would you take away our blindness and replace it with sight that only you can give? We ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. So if the healing of the man born blind is a sign, what's the significance? Why did John select this as one of the relatively few things he includes in his gospel? He doesn't cover a whole lot of things, but what he does cover, he goes in in depth with. He takes a whole chapter for this healing a man who is blind, blind from birth. Well, have you noticed yet through our first eight chapters of John just how much blindness we have encountered? Not necessarily physical, but definitely spiritual, how utterly and absolutely blind the majority of the people have been when it comes to the coming of Jesus, their long-awaited Messiah. He came as light into the world. Remember that from, from the prologue, chapter 1? Right? In him was light. Right? But we saw in chapter 3, verse 19, Light came, but the people loved darkness more. They were blind. In in chapter 5, after healing the lame man at the pool, and, and on the Sabbath, of course, and after calling God his own father, we saw what the blindness of the religious leaders led to there. Chapter 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They were blind. In chapter 6, after Jesus miraculously feeds the multitude, tells folks that he's actually better than physical bread, he's the bread of life, will that be enough to convince them? Not so much. John chapter 6, 41 and 42, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? They did not understand. They, they could not see. They were blind. And they aren't the only ones. That's why Messiah had to come. One, one of the very frequent prophecies about Messiah why he would come, what he would do when he came? Well, he would 
open the eyes of the blind. That's what Messiah would do. Uh, Isaiah mentioned it several times. Uh, Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Spiritual blindness is not a rare exception for mankind. It's the rule. We are all, because of the fall, born blind, lacking spiritual insight, unable to see and understand. And if we want to fully understand this, right, it's a result of the fall, right? So Satan deceiving our first parents, getting them to doubt the goodness of God, but it's also his continuing activity. A verse I've taken you to many times, you ought to just go ahead and commit it to memory. 2 Corinthians 4.4 explains this continuing activity of our enemy. It's good that we understand what we're up against, both personally and in terms of our outreach. Right, here's, here's what's up, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, in the case of all who are lost, all who are blind, In their case, the God of this world, our enemy, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our enemy has blinded, and he desperately wants to keep blind all of mankind. That's what he was doing in the garden. That's what he continues to do today. And this is precisely why why Jesus finds this blind man and restores his sight. This is why John tells us about it. This is, why, this is one of the things that John picks as a sign and says, hey, let's spend 40-some-odd verses digging into this. It's a sign. It's about much more than physical sight for this one man. It's about spiritual sight for all who are born Blind. Now, it's also a sign. It also has significance because of the extent of the problem. Have you noticed this in John's gospel that John especially shows Jesus going after the really lost causes? Back in chapter 5, the man who was lame that Jesus healed. He was lame for 38 years. It wasn't some just, just some recent ailment that Jesus came along and healed. This man in our passage, he didn't get some illness that resulted in blindness. No, he was born that way. These guys are hopeless, absolutely in utter despair, and nothing short of a miraculous and supernatural intervention can help them. That's significant with this sign. There's a lot of parallels between this healing in chapter 9 and the healing we saw back in chapter 5 of that lame man. One of the most important parallels, I think, is that Jesus initiated the healings of both. Neither man asked for anything. 
right? Their healings were completely Jesus' idea. They were completely Jesus' doing. And mark this, those details are no accident, right? Those details in those signs that have significance for who Jesus is and what he came to do, those details are not insignificant. They are showing us They're showing us what our situation is like. They're showing us how great the solution is that the Savior offers at His own initiative, at His own doing. It truly is a remarkable sign. Let's look now at the healing itself. And two aspects that I want to focus on. Number one is how Jesus goes about healing and then the change that the healing brings about. So, so this mud, spitting in the dirt, and rubbing it in the man's eyes. To, you know, that seems counterproductive, right? And really gross. Why, Jesus? Why? It can't be because Jesus needed it to heal the man. We've seen plenty of healings where he just speaks and it's done. There's nothing magical about the Palestinian dirt. Perhaps a case could be made for there's something magical about Jesus' spit, but Scripture does not tell us explicitly why. He went about the healing this way. But I see, and this is just my opinion, but I see a connection here to just how desperate the situation was. It's awfully creative. It has something to do with the dirt, the dust, if you will. Now, when I say this is creative, I don't mean like, hey, I've got this new ingenious idea that nobody's thought of before. I mean creative as in the creator taking action. It's creative in that sense because in a very real sense, what Jesus is having to do here, he's not restoring sight. He's creating sight. There was never any sight in this man to restore. He had to create it. I think that the dirt there has something to do just like the dust of of creation. He's creating sight for someone who has never, ever seen anything his entire life. That's the kind of creative power at work in restoring this man's physical sight. And guess what? That's the kind of Work. That's the type, the kind of power when Jesus, through his spirit, gives us spiritual sight. We who have never ever seen or understood anything in the way that we should have. And y'all, we have got to understand our conversions biblically. When we become Christians, it's not that our lives get a makeover, like on some of those TV shows, right? It's not, 
uh, that we're being renovated. We're not just new and improved versions of our former selves. Coming to Christ happens because we've had new sight and new life created in us when always and ever before there was only death and blindness. Now look at how the man responds to this. I know what my response probably would have been. You idiot. Why are you rubbing mud in my eyes? That's just dumb. I already can't see. But verse 7 This is how he responds. Jesus says, go wash. And somehow, led by someone, presumably, because he can't see, and he has mud in his eyes, he was led to this pool and he washed. Again, the natural response would be, that's dumb. I'm not going. But by the gift of God's grace, somehow he had the faith to believe and respond as Jesus said. And y'all, that's us too. That's us too. Probably when you first heard the offer of the gospel, certainly as you were offering it to those around you, that Jesus took upon himself the death that we deserve, and that if you trust that, if, if, if you acknowledge your need for that, if you believe that Jesus did that for you, that you'll have life the most natural response to you is, that's dumb. I don't need that. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm not sure who it is you're describing that, that needs the Son of God to die in their place, but gosh, I look around, I'm, I'm doing okay, I think. Doing pretty good anyway. They're blind. We were once blind. Blindness is rampant. And it's only once Jesus, through his spirit, gets involved and gives grace to see and the grace to believe when we begin to say, maybe that's not such a dumb prospect after all. I think maybe I really do need this after all. This really is an amazing offer from Jesus now that I look at it. I think that is something that I should believe, that I should trust for myself. And, and when that happens, the change in us is just as radical as the change wrought in that man that day. How radical? So radical that folks were arguing over whether it's even the same person. Verses 6 through 8, or excuse me, 8 through 9. Is this the same guy? And there was a group that said, yeah, that's him. That's the same guy. But there's another group that said, oh, no, it's just a guy who kind of looks like him. It clearly cannot be the same guy. All right? And our poor fellow stuck in the middle of these arguing factions saying, no, it's me. It's really me. Right? And the verb there is for continuous action. He had to keep on saying, no, it's me, it's me, it's really me. And, and it's kind of humorous as, as you look at this, funny and not funny. And as we get further in the chapter, we're really going to like this guy because he's, he's got some wit and uh, 
Yeah, he's a, he's a cool guy, but I feel sorry for him here, stuck in the middle of this argument. There's no way it can be the same guy, says some, because he's so radically changed. This is the man who for his whole life sat and begged at the gate. There's no way this can be him. When we have new sight and new life created and birthed in us, the change is no less dramatic. Folks around us ought to be saying, I can't believe it's him. I cannot believe it. Now, there's one final thing that I want us to look at this morning. And it's this statement that Jesus makes in between his explanation of why the man was born blind and the actual healing. So it's verses 4 and 5. We must work the works of him who sent me. Now there's a few things here. Let's start with the works. What works does Jesus have in mind? Works that the Father has given to be done. Well, what is Jesus about to do immediately after he says that? Well, he's about to give sight to the blind. So that's the work. Giving sight to the blind. But Jesus says, we. He says, we must do the works. Now, this is a mighty generous we. That Jesus lumps the disciples in with what he's doing, that's really awfully charitable on his part. Uh, Because what really are the disciples contributing at this point? They are just along for the ride. But this we is important. Jesus here is talking about, he's pointing toward the future. The future when he won't be there in bodily presence. But the works of him who sent him are to continue on. And to be worked. And to be done. Now, obviously one of the things that he's going to do when he departs is he's going to send his spirit. And so John goes into great glorious detail further on in the gospel that we'll get to about the sending of his Holy Spirit. But he has also decided to include a we, which is now us. His body was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and is still there where he's ruling and reigning today. And now we are here. We are his body on earth. And he is entrusted to us, the we. We must work the works of him through the power of the Holy Spirit of giving sight to the blind. That's why we're here. Because there's blindness all around us. Everywhere you turn. And just as Jesus felt a sense of urgency about this prior to his physical departure, he says, we got to work while it's day. Night is coming. He understood his time on earth was limited. He wanted with these disciples 
to work the works. We need that same sense of urgency to grip us. We've got limited time. The days of all our departures are getting one day closer every day. And none of us knows when. There needs to be a sense of urgency. Are we doing the works of the Father? We have each got to wrestle with that. Sessions meeting today over lunch with elders and their wives to wrestle with this question. Are we doing the works of the Father? So we need to wrestle with it on a corporate level. You need to wrestle with it on an individual level. I need to wrestle with it. What am I actively and currently engaged in on a daily basis to seek to bring sight to the blind? They are all around us. And I get it. Trust me, I get it. It is, it is hard. Right? The blindness is so slow to budge, if at all. It's frustrating. Spending time with blind people is exhausting. It saps you. Right? If, if you are a person walking in the light and you're engaged with people in darkness, it saps your energy and your strength and your patience. <laughs> and sometimes it can lead you to a place of despair. But here's what we've got to remember. Whose works are these? We must work the works of Him. They're His works. He's given us a role in it. He's generously including us in the we. But He's doing the real work through His Spirit. We're just His mouthpieces. We're His ambassadors. And here's the title last week, right? He is as sovereignly in control of our work among the blind as he was sovereignly in control of that man being born blind that he might display his works in him. Sovereignly in control. His work, he'll do it. So there's an element, certainly there's an element of obedience here. When we see in Scripture that the Father has works for a we to do, right? there's an element of, of obedience required. We need to submit to his plan. We need to obey what he's called us to do. But there's also a big, huge element of trust involved as well. They're ultimately his works. He's sovereign over them. He has to and will do his part. He will actually open the eyes. There's nothing we can do. But he will do his part. Let's pray. Father, how we need that conviction. The conviction of your Holy Spirit in, in both regards here, 
the conviction that we need to, we must be engaged in the works that you have called us to do. We need that conviction to be involved and engaged in what you've called us to do. And we also need the conviction that they're your works, that you're sovereign over them, that you, through your Spirit, will accomplish all that you want to accomplish. That we're just channels for your power to flow through. Burden us, Father, by the blindness that's around us. Remind us of how we used to be blind until you intervened miraculously and supernaturally. And Father, where we have despaired, where we have become so frustrated, where we have felt like we were just beating our heads against the wall, would you show us even a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of your activity, a glimmer of your sight-creating power in those that we're around that would give us hope to keep at the works that you've called us to do. For your sake, for your honor, for your glory, do these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.